Well, hey, good morning. My name is Sam Smith. I'm the campus pastor at Rock Bridge Chatsworth. And hey, I'm excited to be live from our Calhoun campus this morning. You know, this just illustrates for all of us that we are one campus in five locations, soon to be six. So I'm glad that all of you have chose to come to worship on Sunday morning and just engage in our worship, engage in our teaching. And I just want to ask you in the name of Jesus, just prepare. Just prepare yourself in, the mind, in your mind right now to take next steps towards Jesus. So we're beginning or we're ending our series on road trip. This is road trip number six. And, and we're going to land the plane today and hopefully give you some action steps and, and following Jesus as we land the plane on road trip number six. But I just want to unpack something for you. You know, Kim and I, my wife and I, went on a, went on a road trip uh, the last couple of weeks. It was uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, we were able to go to, uh, to Canada and Nova Scotia, and we, we ended up in Boston, in Boston, Massachusetts. And I got to hang out with some friends of mine, and I just wanted to kind of share that with you. You know, I don't know, it's been six weeks ago or so, our, our campus pastor from Ringgold, J.C., uh, and his sermon, he, he shared a picture of himself and Ric Flair. And I'm like, whoo! <laughs> Man, that, that, that made me a little jealous, okay? So I'm like, you know, I, I, our campus pastors, we have a, we have a camaraderie. And, and um, you know, I just, I, just, I just wanted JC. Maybe some of y'all can share with this. I want to show some of the people I hung out with in, in uh, Boston last week. Yeah, that's right. That's me and Snoop Dogg. Yeah. Beat that, JC. Man, we hung out together. We're working on his language, okay? Snoop Dogg, he's cool. Check my other buddy out. Yeah, Clint Eastwood. Make my day, punk. Man, Clint's bad, okay? But you never, ever have to know kind of what Clint's thinking, so I just made a, I wanted to, you guys to see both of the, my friends at the same time, so there's just a collage that I made, and man, we, we had a great, great time in, in Boston, just hanging out. I, I need to apologize. I embellished my two friends. I, I told an untruth. Actually, I told a lie. Okay? Here's the story behind my two buddies that I hung out with. You see, Kim and I paid for a tour in Boston. And, and along with that tour in Boston, we got a free trip to the Wax Museum. <laughs> and I have to admit, Kim did not want any part of that, but hey, it's free. I wanted to go. So... I'm sorry. I'm sorry I lied about that. And that takes us, that just takes us into a segue of our road trip part six. See, we have a character in our road trip part six named Gehazi. And he had a challenge, he had troubles, he had lying. So our title to road trip part six is simply this, unauthorized road trip. Our main character we're going to look at today, 
took an unauthorized road trip, and we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 5. If you'll remember, I kicked off this series June the 2nd, then we taught in 2 Kings chapter 5, so we're going to end today where we began. So we're in 2 Kings chapter 5, road trip number 6, unauthorized road trip. Verse 19, after Naaman had traveled a short distance from Elijah, Elisha. Now let me get you caught up. Who's this guy Naaman? All right. Naaman was a general, a commander of the Aramean army. And they were north of Israel. And they had raided into Israel. And basically, they were enemies. They were enemies with Israel. Armin and Israel. Naaman had a, a, a slave daughter, a, ser, a servant in his wife's house that made a suggestion. Hey, Naaman, I see that you have a skin disease. I mean, there's a prophet in Israel that may be able to heal you. So Naaman asked the king of Aram for permission to go to Israel. The king of Aram did better than that. He gave him permission. He wrote him a letter. So Naaman took his whole entourage with him to Israel. And he went to see the king, and the king was frustrated. But Elisha, Elisha is a prophet, a prophet of God in Israel that's at the king's assistance. And Elisha said, hey, send this guy over to me. Send Naaman over to me. So Naaman and his whole entourage went to Elisha. And Naaman's thinking he's going to get healed. Well, Elisha sends a messenger out to Naaman. We don't have the name of this messenger, but he sends a messenger out to Naaman and says, hey, Naaman, I know you want to be healed. Elisha says, go to the Jordan River and dip yourself seven times. Basically, take a bath. So Naaman gets frustrated. There are cleaner, more beautiful rivers in my home country than the Jordan. Why would I do that? So the pride, the pride hands go up. And, but Naaman's servant says, hey, just try this. Just try what the prophet is telling you. So Naaman went and dipped in the Jordan seven times. On the seventh time he come up, and he was healed. But not only was Naaman healed, the best part of the story is that Naaman received salvation. In verse 15 of this same chapter, Naaman says this, I know there is no God in the whole world except in Israel. Therefore, please accept a gift from your servant. So Naaman got healing. Naaman got salvation. But also... Naaman brought this pile of cash. He brought these goods to pay for his healing, and Elisha refused. He refused the payment. Naaman tried to encourage him to do that, but Elisha refused the payment. And he blessed Naaman as he left. So let's keep going. After Naaman had traveled a short distance from Elisha, Gehazi, the attendant of Elisha, the man of God. That's our central character, Gehazi. Who is this guy? So let me unpack who Gehazi is and the things that he's witnessed. If you'll rewind in 2 Kings chapter 2, we're first introduced to Gehazi. You see, Gehazi is a servant to Elisha. He's an employee to Elisha. I think there's more there. I think the Bible tells us there's more there. I think he's a confidant. I think he's a friend of Elisha. So when we first see this, Elisha 
and Gehazi are befriended by a Shunammite woman in chapter 4. You see, this Shunammite woman had, had ministered to them. They wanted to do something for her. They found out that this Shunammite woman could not have kids. And Elisha prophesied over her. He said, hey, next year at this time you'll have a baby. She said, hey, but my husband's old. So the next year at that time, the Shunammite woman had a baby. So they go on, this child grows up, grows up old enough to work with his dad. So he works with his dad in the fields, and he gets sick one day. And as he gets sick, the dad sends him to the Shunammite woman, his mom, and she puts him in Elisha's room. She had a special room for the prophet in her house. She puts him in Elisha's room, and the boy dies. So then the Shunammite woman travels to Elisha and Gehazi. She said, my son is sick. This son that you prophesied that I would have is sick and has died. And Elisha looks at Gehazi and he says, run, don't stop, don't greet anybody. You run and you take my staff and you put my staff on this boy. So it says in chapter 4 that Gehazi tucked his robe inside of his belt and he ran and he ran and he ran and he got there and he placed that staff. Gehazi placed that staff on that boy that wasn't breathing. And Elisha and the Shunammite woman followed and got there a time later and it says in chapter 4 that Elisha went up to the room and he laid on top of the boy, it says mouth to mouth, eye to eye, nose to nose, cheek to cheek and the boy sneezed seven times and opened up his eyes. You see God had healed this boy right in front of Gehazi and Gehazi had just witnessed in this latter part of this chapter Naaman being healed but also Naaman receiving salvation. So that catches us up on who Naaman, Elisha, and Gehazi is. Verse 19. After Naaman had traveled a short distance from Elisha, Gehazi, the attendant of, the attendant of Elisha, the man of God, thought, my master, my, he thought my master has left this Aramean Naaman off lightly. By not accepting from him what he brought. You see, this, this, this Aramean was Naaman, who was an enemy of Israel. And Gehazi said, hey, we've laid him off lightly. We didn't take anything from him. And he says, as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something. You see this word thought? Every lie, every lie begins with a thought. You see, Gehazi, he led, this thought led to the plan that Gehazi, that put Gehazi on an unauthorized road trip. This thought led to Gehazi planning this unauthorized road trip because Elisha had already denied payment, had already denied payment Accepting payment from Naaman. So we see here that every lie begins with a thought. Every lie begins with a thought. So how do we combat that? How do we, when we have thoughts, when we have plans, and, and we're tempted to, to go out on our own or, or, or do something that may be unethical or do something we may have a question about, how do we handle that? What do we do? What's a guardrail? What's a safeguard? Tell others. Tell others 
your thoughts and your plans. You see, in Proverbs 27, it says this, Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. Share with other people, your spouse, your friends, your mentor, your small group leader. Share with other people your thoughts, your plans. Let me give you a current example. You see, when I had that thought about putting Snoop Dogg on the screen and lying to you guys at the start of this message, I had some questions about that. So here's what I did. I took that thought, I took that plan, and I unpacked it. I explained it to, uh, to Ryan Steigel, our, our executive pastor. And we had two uh, campus pastors in the room. And I explained them the introduction and why I thought it would tie in to show Snoop Dogg, how I thought it would lie in that I lied to y'all as a part of this message. And all three of them gave me the thumbs up. So I said, okay, cool, we'll go with that. So I didn't enter that lightly because I didn't want to bring attention to myself. I didn't want to cause confusion for anybody. So tell others. Tell others your thoughts and your plans. So let's keep going. Let's see what Gehazi does with this thought. Verse 20. Gehazi says, as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. You get that? Gehazi is going to betray his master. And he says, as the Lord lives. Man, he's asking God to bless this lie. He's asking God to bless this betrayal. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. And he asked, is everything all right? And Gehazi said, it is all right. My master has sent me to say. Lie number one. Elisha did not send Gehazi. That's his thought turned into an action, which turned into a lie. I have just now discovered that two young men from the sons of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them 75 pounds of silver and two sets of clothing. You see, Gehazi had thought out his plan to the T that he was going to ask exactly. He was going to be exact on what he asked Naaman for. 75 pounds of silver and two garments. My master has sent me to say lie number one. You see, the motivation behind that lie is greed and wealth. The motivation that caused Gehazi to betray his master was greed and wealth. You see, there's a Quaker theologian, a Quaker teacher that, that's a favorite of mine. And I really like these quotes as he's talking about greed, as he's talking about wealth. Richard Foster, who wrote The Challenge of D Disciplined Life, The Christian Reflection on Money, Sex, and Power, Richard Foster says this. He says, the demon in money is greed. The demon in money is greed. Money's not the demon. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, the love of money is the root of all evil. So listen, the love of money is greed. Richard Foster goes on to write, nothing can destroy a person like the passion to possess. The passion to possess. 
possess money, possess things, possess friends, possess collections, possess people. Nothing can destroy a person like the passion to possess. And that's exactly what happened to Gehazi. So as Christians, as followers of Christ, or as anybody, how do we fight? How do we fight this greed? How do we fight this love for money? And to fight that is to practice generosity. Amen. To practice generosity. See, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He was taking up an offering to take back to the church in Jerusalem. And he said, each person should decide. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart. You see, giving, being generous is a heart issue. Not reluctantly and not out of compulsion. You see, not giving, I'm going to give because I know the Jones family gave $100, so I'm just going to give $100. Or not giving out of manipulation, being manipulated to give money. Hey, you give us $100, bucks, we are going to send you a prayer cloth, and we pray for you. Okay? That's manipulation. Paul says you should give. It's a heart issue. To be generous is a heart issue since God loves a cheerful giver. Man, every time you click that button to give your tithe and offering, man, it should bring joy into your heart because you're in a position to give back to God. Every time you write that check and put it in the offering basket, it should bring joy in your heart because you're in a position to give to God. Every single time that you put something in that drop box as an offering or a tithe, it should bring joy in your heart. Because God has put you in a position to be generous and give back to him. Let's continue. Verse 23. But Naaman insisted, please accept 150 pounds. Whoa. Naaman has just illustrated what generosity means. He didn't know he was participating in a betrayal or a lie. He gives Gehazi twice as much as Gehazi asked for. But Naaman insisted, please accept 150, 150 pounds. And he urged Gehazi and then packed 150 pounds of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. And Naaman gave to them two, two of his attendants who carried them ahead of Gehazi. So Gehazi's got help in carrying this wealth that he acquired with a deception. So when Gehazi came to the hill, he took the gifts from the men. He took the gifts from them and deposited them in his house. And then he dismissed the men and they left. You see, this is Gehazi's attempt at hiding his lie, at hiding his deception. And then we see in the scriptures that says, Gehazi came and stood by his master. And Elisha asked a question. Where did you go? Where did you go, Gehazi? And Gehazi replied, your servant didn't go anywhere. Lie number two. This is the second lie that Gehazi tells. Your servant 
didn't go anywhere. So what's the motivation? What's the motivation of this lie? The motivation is simply this. The motivation is power and pride. You see, Gehazi was filled with pride that he had to retain his power to try to keep his deception alive. You see, the same Quaker theologian, Richard Foster, he says this. He says, the demon of power is pride. The demon of power is pride. And Richard Foster unpacks this. And I think this, is, this quote is, is really a picture of what is the positive and the negative of pride. And Richard Foster says, true power has its aim to set people free. Whereas pride is determined to dominate. To dominate people, to dominate others, to dominate the situation. True power enhances relationships. You see, power's not bad. Jesus Christ has power. He said, all authority has been given to him in heaven and earth. Therefore, go make disciples. Christ used his power for the furtherment of the kingdom. The apostles used their power for the furtherment of the kingdom. When you have teachers and leaders in, and small group leaders, man, they have power because they're influencing people for the furtherment of the kingdom. But check this out. True power enhances relationships. Pride. Pride destroys relationships. And Gehazi had just destroyed the relationship between him and his master, him and his employee, him and his friend and confidant. Because of pride, the relationship was destroyed. So what does this look like? How do we combat? How do we fight against this, this demon of, of, of pride that, that's found in power. It's simple. Look for opportunities to serve. Look for opportunities to serve other people because you're serving Jesus as you serve others. Jesus said this in Matthew 20. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus is still in the serving business. As a matter of fact, right now, Jesus is serving people that are hearing his word taught because the Holy Spirit of God, which is Jesus, he gave the Holy Spirit to us. He is working in people's lives right now to identify maybe the unauthorized road trips you're on. He's working in people's lives right now. Maybe to give the steering wheel of their life to Jesus. The Holy Spirit of God is working in people's lives right now to encourage those to take next steps towards Jesus. So Jesus is still serving. John wrote this in John 12. These are Jesus' words. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Listen, being a follower of Christ, serving comes with that. It's not optional. We're not called to be spectators. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. You see, Henry Blackaby wrote this. He said, you don't know where to serve? He said, you look around you and you see where God's moving. And you get on that bus. You get in that ministry. You start serving with those people. Where I am, my servants will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. 
Look for opportunities to serve. So let's keep going as the story concludes. Guys, I said, your servant didn't go anywhere. And Elisha responds, my heart didn't go when the man got down from the chariot to meet you. You see, Elisha knew of Gehazi's betrayal. Elisha's heart was broken because of his friends, his confidant, his worker in ministries betrayal. My heart didn't go. And my heart didn't go when the man got down, the man his name, and got down from the chariot to greet you. And Elisha says, is this a time for specs to accept silver or clothing, olive orchards or vineyards or flocks or herds, and male and female slaves? Therefore, Naaman's skin disease will cling to you and your descendants forever. So Gehazi went out of his presence diseased with his skin resembling snow. You see, one of the things that 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 can teach us is this. There is always a cost or consequence for lying sin. There's always a cost. And that cost may not be immediate. That cost may be later in life. But there's always a cost. You know, I told you the story that I just got back from a road trip and we went into Canada and came back in the United States and we had to, we had to work with and, and deal with border crossings. So as my wife was researching border crossings into Canada, she came across this one requirement. It says, hey, you can be denied entrance into Canada if you've had a DUI. But when my wife told me that, my heart sank. Because 36 years ago, I had a DUI and was convicted. You see, my past sin from 36 years ago had suddenly raised its head and came to light because of our planned road trip. That was the cost, the cost of my sin. So we decided whether or not to even go to Canada or not. But in the fine print, in the fine, not in the fine print down there, on the website, it says, however, if you can prove you have been rehabilitated, we may let you in. <laughs> and I'm like, awesome. <laughs> Let's take a chance. <laughs> so we did. We took a chance, crossed the border. The questions I asked, hey, you, you got a pet, you got fruits or vegetables or cannabis or handguns? The answer is no. They stamped my passport and let me in. But listen, I had to deal. I had to deal with my past sin. There's always a cost. You see, Gehazi, he had allowed lying and greed and betrayal and deception to affect his life. And that affected his relationship. And that affected his quality of life. 
because there's always a cost. So here's what we need to do. We need to go back and we need to look. What kind of tools can I put in my toolbox? What can I do to fight against greed, against pride, against the love of money, against sin? We've already said these. I'm just going to unpack them for you just a little bit. So how can we fight against the demon of lying, greed, money, and power? Tell someone your thoughts. Simply tell someone your thoughts or your plans. Your friends, your small group leaders, your spouse. There's wisdom in counsel. Don't go this alone. God never called us to do this thing called Christianity alone. Number two, live a generous life. I just need to be transparent with you again. You know, my wife got saved after we got married. And, you know, the church, they, we got, she got saved in, gave her a box of envelopes. She goes, what do I do with this? I go, oh, nothing. Don't worry about it. Just send it over to the side. Don't worry about those envelopes. Well, because I didn't fully understand what living generous meant. And I never fully understand what living a generous life meant until the Holy Spirit enlightened me and showed me that everything I have, 100% of what I have is a blessing from God. My family, my kids, my future grandkids, my house, my possessions, my money, my friends, all of that are, is a blessing from God. So when the Holy Spirit revealed that to me and I received that, man, it's easy to give back to God. Yeah. You know what? If you want to put it in percentages, I get to keep 90 and give him 10. That's a deal. So to live a generous life, it, it's a hard issue. It's not a legalistic issue. And number two, look for opportunities to serve others. You know, we have five, soon to be six campuses. And let me tell you the statement that I've heard the last five or six months, and it breaks my heart. The statement that I've heard the last five or six months is, Man, Rockbridge is so big. Y'all got so many volunteers. There's just not a place for me to volunteer. Well, well let me just say one word to that. Bull. Okay? I want you to listen. In all five of our soon-to-be six campuses, none of our campuses are completely staffed with volunteers or bridge builders. Bridge builders are those who, who build bridges to others to minister to them and welcome them in. You see, none of our campuses are fully staffed. Whether it's children's ministry, student ministry, host team ministry, production, worship. None of our campuses are fully staffed. The Hope Initiative. There's a place for you to serve Jesus by serving others. So you can actively, today, start putting these tools in your toolbox and taking next steps towards Jesus. So my prayer for you is this. As the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart and your mind this morning about following him and taking next steps, whether it's telling others your plans, living generous, or, or serving, please, please 
don't say no to the Holy Spirit of God who's speaking to you. Please respond by saying yes, whether that's in the next step card or whether that is at the end of our service coming forward and praying with, with elders and prayer team members and staff at the front of the stages in all of our campuses. But please don't say no to Jesus who's standing here like this with open arms saying, my followers, my servants, follow me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity that you've given all of us this morning to say yes to you. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given all of us this morning to take steps towards you. Father, I want to pray specifically for those people in all of our campuses that have identified that maybe, or they have identified, that they are on an unauthorized road trip. And there's been casualties, there's been cost of that unauthorized road trip. I play, pray specifically for those people, God, that they'll get off that road trip and turn and follow you, Jesus, no matter what. Father, I pray for those people in all of our campuses that have just realized, hey, I've done some stuff on my own. I need to share my thoughts and plans. God, surround them with people that they can share with. And God, I thank you that, that we're a generous church, we're a serving church, but I also thank you for the opportunity to continue to give generously and to continue to serve, serve others by serving you. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, nobody says no your spirit today. In Christ's name I pray.